Welcome back. We are on Parsha Chuchat, and we are reviewing Judaism's Life-Changing Ideas by Rabbi Sachs. And this week's essay is entitled Kohelet, Tolstoy, and the Defeat of Death. So the Parsha opens up this week with a discussion over the commandment of the red heifer, in Hebrew, the paraduma. And this is known as one of the hardest of mitzvahs to understand. The, what happens with this is that um, if someone is exposed to a dead body, they need to be purified. And the purification process involves a priest sprinkling the affected person on the third and seventh day with a specially prepared liquid known as the water of cleansing. And to make this, they take the paraduma or red heifer and they have to have one, the red heifer that's without any blemish that's never been used to perform work. In the Torah it says, quote, a yoke has never been placed on it. So the heifer is killed and burned, and then they take cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet wool, add it to the fire, and these ashes are placed with water and dissolved. And this creates the, the water of cleansing that's used to purify a person who's exposed to ritual contamination from being near a dead person. So this, this uh, ritual was only practiced during the time of the temple and it's significant because it represents, it helps us understand the idea of a chok, which translates a statue. And there's other laws that fall in this category, such as the prohibition of eating meat and milk, uh, wearing clothes of mixed wool and linen together, which is called shotness, or sowing a field with two kinds of grains. Uh, these are all um, these are all cons these are all in the category of chok, which are laws whose logic we cannot understand. Now. Sadia Gon described these, these laws as commands issued for no other reason than to reward us for obeying it. Now the sages recognized that Gentiles would understand certain laws that were based on social justice, such as mishpatim or historical memory, idot. Commands such as the prohibition of eating milk and meat seem irrational and superstitious. So there's commentary of Rashi, the great commentator, that the chukim were laws of which, quote, Satan and the nations of the world made fun. And they made fun of them because they, they, they seem to be more superstitious and based on any logic. So Rabbi Yochanan talks about in the, the, the Talmud that the command has no intrinsic logic. It's simply an expression of the divine will. Maimonides had a different view of these types of laws. He didn't believe that any divine commandments could be irrational. So, in his, in his opinion, uh, the Chukim only appear to be inexplicable because we've forgotten the original context in which they were used. And part of this is because primarily a lot of these laws were, were as a re rebellion against idolatrous practice. And since these practices died out, it's hard for us to, to understand how these commandments relate to that. Now, a third view is adopted by the Ramban, or Nachmanides, in the 13th century, and further articulated by Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch in the 19th century. And 
they discuss the Chukim as laws designed to teach the integrity of nature. See, nature has its own laws or, or boundaries, and when you cross them, you're crossing, you're dishonoring a divinely created order, and that's a threat to nature itself. So we don't combine animal and vegetable textiles, which would be wool from an animal and vegetable textile, linen, comes from flax plant. Or we wouldn't mix animal life and animal death, so we don't eat milk and meat together. As for the red heifer, Rabbi Hirsch says that the ritual is used to clean, cleanse humans from depression, brought about by reminders of human mortality. So if you think about it, um, we, it, it there's an impurity from being attached to death and we go through the ritual of the red heifer to cleanse us from the negative aspects of being surrounded by death. Now Rabbi Sachs takes a different approach to this. His view is that chuchim are commands deliberately intended to bypass the rational brain. We're not fully rational animals and we're capable of making very significant mistakes if we are, if we look at ourselves as fully rational. We have a limbic system, our emotional brain, and that creates very intense responses, particularly when we have uh, potential dangers. It leads us to a fight or flight response or to freeze when we're in, in, in fear. And none of this is rational, it's instinctual. So the non-rational parts of the brain are faster acting and they're actually more powerful. They can override uh, our rational aspects of our brain. Emotions move us to act in ways that our mind isn't necessarily um, calculating. So Rabbi Sachs goes on to talk about um, one of the greatest movements in the history of civilization, which was also considered very dangerous, which was the Enlightenment, which was uh, the age of reason. It gave light to significant achievements, particularly in science, but Rabbi Sachs critiques it because it neglected the power and persistence of the irrational. And this exploded with full force in the following century when we had the irrationalism of nationalism, racism, Marxism. And this led to two world wars, the Holocaust, Stalinist Russia, and Communist China, and more than 100 million lives dead. So a moral system, to be adequate to the human condition, it has to recognize the nature of the human condition and realize that we're not perfectly rational. If we were perfectly rational, a lot of our essential human qualities wouldn't exist. We necessarily we might not love or show compassion, especially particularly if we felt someone didn't deserve it, perhaps. We, we would have a difficulty uh, maintaining loyalty if there was no ulterior motive for it. It'd be hard for us to empathize with people and understand their fears and hopes or anxieties. We would lack what's known as emotional intelligence. So that's a reason why the Torah does something that no other law code does. It interweaves narrative and law. Our laws engage the rational mind, but through use of narrative, it speaks to emotion. When we talk about the story of us escaping Egypt, we're, we're, we're emotionally moved from that. We're, we have an intuitive feeling of empathy for the oppressed, and we identify with them. Uh, and then, you know, the, the laws that are mentioned, their, their, lo their laws may, that aren't necessarily done for emotional perspective, but to help guide us in creating a just and equitable society. So they're the culmination of the story that we're, that we're learning and the resolution of the emotions that we're feeling and how, we, how do we take those feelings and enact them into 
a just society un, with, uh, based on divine will. So Rabbi Sachs talks about one of the most tragic outcomes of human intervention is environmental destruction. And we, we see it across the globe currently on a massive scale. And the first humans to arrive in a new region, they often hunt animal life to extinction. And they overcultivate land till it's exhausted and can't produce any crops. And we see this in different areas of deforestation and in, in more primitive cultures where they're uh, not using renewable agricultural products, agricultural techniques. So if you look at the chukim in regards to milk and meat, wool and linen, mixed grain, the commands of Shemitah, which is to leave the land fallow one year out of every seven, these are powerful ways of teaching us that we have limits to our exploitation of nature and that nature is not ours to do what we wish. Even when we talk about climate change today and we realize how severe it is, it's still difficult to convince people to make the necessary sacrifices to avoid making it worse. And that's where a hook or a statute really uh, plays its part. Because when God decrees something, you bypass the rational brain and all rationalizations for why you should or should not do something. And instead you do it because it's God's will. So Rabbi Sachs goes on to talk about the most profound fear we have is that of death. And he, he goes into a uh, digression talking about Ecclesiastes, which is a, a long um, uh, reflection on the futility of life. I won't, I won't go through some of the quotes with it, but um, for those that are familiar with the work, uh, it, 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 it can lead someone with a sense of meaning, a sense of depression and uh, meaninglessness. So, so where does this fit in with the right of the heifer, of the, of the, of the, red, of the red cow? So the animal is the starkest symbol of pure, untamed, undomesticated animal life. Right? We have a red animal, the color of blood, which is the essence of life. And it's untamed, it's never had a yoke upon it. It's, it's wild, it's undomesticated. And what do, we, what do we do with this? We take this, we mix it with the cedar tree, the tallest of trees representing vegetative life. And then we add hyssop, which symbolizes purity. And we reduce this to ash in a fire, which is a powerful symbol of mortality. We take this ash, we dissolve it in water. And what does water re reflect? Water is the flow of life. It's continuity, the potential rebirth. The body dies, but the spirit flows on. A generation dies, but another's born. Lives end, but life does not. Those who live after us continue what we began and we live on in them. So life's a never-ending stream and a trace of us is carried onward to the future. So what Rabbi Sachs is arguing here is that the whole response to death and, and, and our, 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 our cure to facing death is through a ritual that that reemphasizes ongoing life. And this is what ritual does. Ritual, because you, you do it, and you don't understand to say why you do it, it can be interpreted differently by different people. It, it, because it's, it's about doing, not thinking. And the root from which the word chok comes from actually means to engrave. So writing is on the surface, but when you engrave something, it cuts much deeper than the surface. It goes deep into your heart. 
So Rabbi Sachs talks about the great novelist, Leo Tolstoy, who went through a bit of a midlife crisis. He'd published two novels, War and Peace and Anna Karenina. He was in his early 50s at the time. So his legacy was secure. He, had, he was married, he had children, he was wealthy, his health was good. But yet he had a sense of meaninglessness of life. And at the one point he actually contemplated suicide. And he searched for an answer to this in science. And he found nothing. Because science deals in causes and effects, not purpose and meaning. And in the end, Tolstoy concluded the only religious faith, that only religious faith rescues life from meaninglessness. Rational knowledge negates the meaning of life. What's needed is something other than rational knowledge. This is Tolstoy speaking. Faith is the force of life. If a man lives, then he must believe in something. If he does understand the illusion of the finite, he is bound to believe in the infinite. Without faith, it is impossible to live. So, so Tolstoy discovered that through religious, really meaning comes from a religious understanding of the world. And a religious understanding of the world, while you can make rational arguments for it, it's primarily an irrational um, viewpoint. There, you, you can't rely on empiric proof to, to prove God or, or, or prove divine will. It, it, revol it requires at one point some aspect of, of a leap of faith. So this is why to defeat the defilement of contact with death, there has to be a ritual that bypasses rational knowledge. So we no longer have the red heifer, but we do have Shiva. We have a seven day mourning period when we comfort others and reconnect with life. And our grief is gradually dissolved by the contact with friends and family who wish us well. Just as the ashes of the heifer are dissolved in the living water and a person emerges cleansed, purified, able again to face life. So I think this is a great way of looking at uh, the red heifer and putting, providing some meaning and context behind religious statues that, to the face of it, don't seem to have a purpose. And the life-changing idea we can get from this, from Rabbi Sachs, is that we can emerge from the shadow of death if we allow ourselves to be healed by the God of life. And to do that, often we need the help of others. In the case of the red heifer, it took a priest to sprinkle the waters of cleansing. It takes comforters to lift our grief during our period of mourning. But with faith, it can help lead us back into life. So I hope everyone has a great week and a chance to reflect on those thoughts.